Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Cubs Corner, presented by Coach's Bar and Grill. My name is Anthony Pasquale, and on this edition, we have a very special guest, former Cubs pitcher and two-time All-Star Ryan Dempster. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Hey, great to be on with you, Anthony. So how's life like out of baseball? Uh, it's good. Yeah, um, you know, busy. I have four kids, and uh, 13, 10, 8, and 1, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of things with them, and um, and then working at MLB Network as an analyst there, and, and working with the Cubs as a special assistant, so a lot of things on the go, and uh, keeping myself busy, and um, just enjoying uh, enjoying life. And looking back at your playing career, what, what kind of sticks out as the highlight? Uh, winning the World Series in 2013 uh, with the Red Sox. You know, you have lots of lots of moments as an individual over your career, but the ultimate goal every year is to go out there and compete and try and win a World Series and to see something come to fruition that we saw um, happening at the beginning of the season and talked about it a lot and then to see it all play out on the field and, and finally get to that uh, pinnacle, that moment in your career, especially later in my career. It was, it was an amazing moment and a season I'll never forget. And a lot of times when people think of you or maybe your playing career, they think of the little glove wiggle you did when you were winding up. Explain to us kind of what that is or maybe how it started. Well, I'm glad to know that after 16 years of my career that that's the one thing I'm known for. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was just something that, uh, you know, hitters out there are always trying to get an edge. And if they can see something or find something in your delivery that gives them a little bit of an advantage, then they're going to use it. And um, when I was thrown out of the windup and started throwing a split finger fastball, um, I was tipping my, my my grip. So as I would lead from my f- split finger into either a fastball or slider, my wrist would move so a hitter could see that. And um, So then I, I just decided to start wiggling my glove a little bit and see what would happen. And um, it turned out to be an all right thing and worked out well for me. Did you have, uh, did you have a name for it? <laughs> no, I didn't. You know, it was funny. Like, guys thought I, I did it to, you know, mess them up or bother them and i'd have guys say that and i said hey that's not what i'm doing if if that's how it works then great but um no no name i should have come up with something for it and a lot of people don't know that your last act in a cubs uniform was actually turning down some trades before ultimately agreeing to go to texas and that gave the cubs kyle hendricks so thanks for the hendricks trade uh, you're very welcome i remind uh, everybody that all the time <laughs> now you know when you get traded I didn't want to go anywhere, but I also understood the business. I, I loved being a Chicago Cub, and I wanted to stay here. Um, but I understood the business of it all. And when you get traded away, you just hope that the piece you get traded for or a piece of what you get traded for helps the team win some ball games. And um, to sit there and say that I imagined Kyle doing what he's done in a Cubs uniform, um, I'd be lying. I never imagined he'd be having this much success. Um, but it, it really, really feels good to, to know that you get traded away, and the guy that you get traded away for um, goes on to start Game 7 of the World Series and pitches his tail off since he's been here. And, and on top of that, he's he's a great person and a great human being. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be, uh, couldn't be more happy to be connected to him in that way. So every time he pitches, do you give yourself a little pat on the back? Yeah, absolutely. I'll text message to, you know, Theo or... Um, you know, something just to let, let them know that, you know, I'm glad that worked out that way. <laughs> you know, just even though, even though it's all really a byproduct of chance, it was, a, it was a great that we got him and he's, he's fulfilled all of that 12, 12 starts for me in Texas got, got the Cubs 11 years control of Kyle Hendricks. So that worked out well. 
And in your career, you had 132 wins, 87 saves. You made the transition between starter and reliever a couple of times in your career. What was that like? Um, you know, it, it wasn't that hard. It was actually harder going from starter to reliever. Everybody talks about going back to starter, but I was a starter my whole life. I started in high school, the minor leagues, early on in my big league career. Um, and then I really went into the closers role out of necessity and we were struggling in that role that year in 05 and they asked me to do it and it went well and um you know uh, 06 was okay 07 was better but um you know and then to get a chance to go back and starting um was what i always love to do i love being a starting pitcher so making that transition back was was uh easier than than the other one and and, the, and, and closing was fun you know i i love being a starter i love the the days off in between um to to really hone your craft uh, but it was something special to know that sometimes, you know, when you're closing that every single day you have a chance to go out there and help your ball, ball club win a game. Would you say that there was one that you preferred over the other? Starting? You, yeah, it's you, not, even, not even a question. Yeah. Closing's a thankless job. You know, you like you, you can close 20 straight games and you blow one and you're getting booed. And that's just the way it is. So it, I always said it, being a closer for the Cubs is like being a kicker for the Dallas Cowboys. As long as you're putting them through the uprights, everything's fine. The minute you miss one, you know, down in Dallas, they want a new kicker. Well, the minute you blew a save, they wanted a new closer. And, um, you know, it's a, it's not an easy job to have. So a lot of pitchers in modern day, they kind of get a bad rap just because of the fact that um, maybe they're a good starter, but in the postseason, if they're asked to go pitch in the bullpen, they give up some runs, like a Clayton Kershaw comes to mind in that regard. How much harder is it to make that transition on the fly in the postseason, maybe? Um, there's just a lot of different elements. As a starting pitcher, a lot of times you're you're trying to fall into a groove and figure out what works for you out there. As a reliever, you just got to gotta go with what you got to get people out with right there, and it's not always the easiest thing. And, and also, too, once you get to the playoffs, you're facing the best of the best. You know, you get to the last eight teams or the last four teams, those are the best teams. So you're going to face the best hitters, and the bats are going to be tougher. Um, there's no mowing through lineups. It's going to be a grind every time. There's no letdown, and those are their full force. So it's not it's not an easy thing. And, um, you know, when guys do it and they step in in those moments, those big situations, and come up big, it's, it's impressive because it's not – I know it's pitching but there's a little bit more to it and controlling those emotions when you're coming out there and, and executing out of the pen when you're used to, you know, having a whole day to kind of build up towards the start or two different animals. So it's not, it's not as easy as some people might think it might be. And back, back to your career a little bit, you've obviously faced a lot of hitters. You're in the national league for a little bit, the American league for a little bit. Who was the hardest out when you were pitching? Oh, wow. Um, that's a good question. Probably for me, a couple guys were Fred McGriff, the crime dog. He was always a really tough at bat. Um, Luis Gonzalez, the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, outfielder, he was really, really had good numbers against me. Um, toughest to strike out was Tony Gwynn. Like, I remember a pitching coach one time saying, don't ever try to strike him out. Just try to get him out. And I got 0-2, and I thought, all right, I'm going to strike out Tony Gwynn. And ended up working an 11-pitch at bat into a walk. So <laughs> he, uh, he, he he is definitely – he was the man when it came to that and being able to put the bat on the ball. So modern-day baseball, especially pitching, there's been so many home runs. What do you think is the main reason for that? Is it a difference in approach, or do you think maybe the ball is different? Um, 
I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think the approach is different. It's not about, it's about taking three swings to try and go deep, hit the ball hard. Um, I think the guys are collectively as a unit, based, pitchers are throwing harder. So when you have more entry velocity, you're going to have more exit velocity. You combine that with the ball coming off the bat at the right angle, it's going to go out. Not so much launch angle, but just, you know, generically swinging and it, you hit it a little bit harder, it's going to go out a little bit farther. So, um, and then the ball. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there this past year and the year before, but especially this past year, there was a noticeable difference. I noticed in spring training when I picked up a baseball, it was slicker. So when you have less seams, you're going to have less friction in the air, and all of a sudden the ball goes 20 feet farther. Well, instead of being a warning track fly ball, that's a home run in the seats. And, um, you know, I just I think it's an all-encompassing collective, you know, Guys are throwing harder, balls a little slicker, swings are a little, the approach is a little bit more to try and go deep. Even when you're 0-2, the guys swing the same as they do 2-0. So, um, yeah, all of it combined for, you know, a lot more home runs this year. So if you were named commissioner tomorrow, what are some changes you'd make to the, the game? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I would call the strike zone like it's supposed to be called. Okay. Uh yeah, which means, you know, from the armpits down to the bottom of the knees. Uh, I don't, I, it's fine. I would also call the black on the plate. You know, we see the overhead camera. Mm-hmm. This, is the, this is the pitcher in me because I'm always going to defend the pitcher first. Um, but when we look overhead, a guy will say that the ball's off the plate. But technically, there's a full another inch surrounding that plate. So if a ball actually looks and appears to be an inch and a half off the plate, it's actually a strike because it's touching any part of that plate is touching that black of that plate. You're allowed to get – that's why they called it painting the black for years and years and years, but we're not allowed to do that anymore. Um, so things like that I would change. Um I would change little things with instant replay where almost like a halo over the bag that once you make contact with the bag, if you were to slide and your body is over top of that bag until you slide past the bag, you would, you would continue to have essentially have, um, contact with it I, I hate that we go to instant replay and we we find the quarter of an inch where somebody came off if that's the case we're gonna have to go back in the rule book and go through instant replay on so many so many slides where people might have been out or safe and i just feel like you know it, it takes away a little bit of of what we're what instant replay was meant for um yeah i would i would try and find ways to speed up the game it's not easy but fundamentally i love the game of baseball the way it is you know there's no clock it's the best part about it. There's no, you can't run the ball down. You can't take a kneel when in the fourth quarter. You know, you, you can't pass it around till till the time runs out. And and that's what's really great. It's about coming down to you know getting 27 outs before the other team uh, does. And I and I think that's really really special about the game of baseball. So I w- I would try not to change too much of the integrity of it all. And when you pitched, you obviously, especially in the National League, got to hit a little bit. Recently, they've been discussing a universal DH. What's your take on that rule? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I'm old school. I think I think that there's something to it. I I understand that it it, it can give more jobs to guys, and then, you know you have guys hitters out there. But you know, people say I don't want to watch a pitcher hit. 
cool then be better be better at hitting and getting your bunts down and and maybe being able to hit and run and grind a pitcher out so that there's actually some strategic advancement to it i'm i'm old school that way i I like the fact that the pitchers hit i'm not really fond of the dh but uh that's just me personally and another rule that was kind of introduced last year but nothing really came of it the three batter minimum as a pitcher what do you think of that one um I think uh, I think it's unfortunate that we've got to this position where we feel like guys can't get three guys out anyways or face a righty like some lefty can only face lefties. And so what happens is is we tell them that over and over. Oh, he's only for the lefties. He's only for the lefties. He's only for the lefties. And then he can't ever get the righties out. And then when he does get a chance to get a face a righty, they, he doesn't get him out. And then they go, see, he didn't get it. He didn't get him out. Well, yeah, because we never let him ever face him. So how are they ever supposed to get practice? It's like a guy who doesn't play every day and he struggles, but then the moment you just let him play every day, he progressively gets better because that's what he's done to get to that point in his career. To get to the big leagues, he's made those adjustments and he's gotten better. So um, I, 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 it's fundamentally changing the game because you're taking away strategy, which sucks. But at the same time, um, you know, I don't know. it may speed up the game a little bit. People think, oh, well, there won't be as many pitching changes yet, but there might be more hits and more runners on base. So I don't know. It's a really tough one. And this is obviously a Cubs podcast, so let's get into the Cubs a little bit. They're obviously still in a search for their next manager. If you had to put some money down on one guy, who would you pick? Oh, man. Um, If I had to put money down on somebody... How much money are we talking about? <laughs> I, I, I don't know, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I I think David Ross would make a great manager. Um, I, I thought that he would have made a great manager back in 2013 when he was my teammate in Boston. He was the best coach we had. He was uh, he was an incredible leader as far as being able to coach in-game stuff. Um, you know, it was always, oh, David Ross is going to be a good manager. David Ross is going to be a really good manager. David Ross is going to be a really good manager. And then he went on Dancing with the Stars and got super famous. And everyone's like, that guy, the Dancing with the Stars guy, is going to be a good manager? I don't get that. So it's kind of funny. Like, him going on that show and becoming more famous has actually hurt his chances, I feel like, because I feel like leading up to that, it was a no-doubter that he would be a big league manager somewhere. And obviously you played with him in Boston there and won a championship with him. Just tell me about him. What makes him... What made him the best coach on your team that year, and what what would make him a good manager? Yeah, first of all, he has tremendous relationship skills with people, so the ability to communicate with people, um, talk to you, know who you are as an individual, know who needs to be pushed, who needs to be coddled, um, and, and extremely in, intelligent within the game and how the game works and what you need to do and how it needs to kind of move along. Um, he always looking for little things, you know, uh, try to be able to find a way whether that's figure out um, somebody's uh, coach's signs or you know a bench coach's signs to the catchers um, things like that in game you know and just get a feel and understanding um, he, he said something to me one time he said you know you got to throw a fastball when everybody knows you're going to throw a fastball in order to be successful you have to throw fastballs and fastball counts you just have to locate them you know and, and I think that's really important to understand really truly the dynamics of what it takes to be successful at the big league level. Um, you know, he's been a starting catcher to a backup catcher. He's played all around. He's, he played a long time, and I think experience and, and all that stuff really, really would benefit him. And um, He knows how the game works probably as good as anybody I've been around. 
And speaking of managers in your playing days, who was your favorite manager that you played for? Um, wow. Favorite, favorite. Uh, Dusty Baker was one of my favorite managers. I really, really enjoyed playing for Dusty. Um, best manager I ever had was Jim Leland. I only had him for a year. It was my rookie year, and I think he really shaped a lot of us rookies down in Florida, a lot of guys that learned a lot from him in a short period of time. Um, I was lucky to play for a lot of really good managers. You know, Ron Washington, when I got traded over to, to Texas, was an amazing man and um, a great manager. So, um, yeah, really, really lucky to, to play for a lot of really good managers. And Dusty obviously was the manager and part of your time with the Cubs. What was it like being a Cub? It was, you know, an incredible, an incredible time in my career. Um, you know, to be able to say that Wrigley Field is your office and to be able to walk there on a daily basis and, you know, show up and play a game on a Friday afternoon with 38,000 people in the stands was was truly, truly special. I played all around. It's not, it's not like that everywhere. Um, and players, they come here, they understand that, and I understood that. I understood what it meant. It was an honor to put on that uniform, and I just try to give 100% every day to, to repay those fans that paid money to come see us. And um, Chicago is a great city. It's a Midwest town. Um, people are special people, and, and Wrigley Field is, is truly an iconic place and, and you know an incredible place to, to call your home field. And Ryan, you obviously do great work with MLB Network today, but I wonder, would you ever consider coaching? Um, yeah, I've thought about it. Um, you know, it's a it's a big commitment, and uh, unfortunately, I got other commitments in my life that take up that time. But maybe somewhere down the road, I love the game of baseball. I love talking baseball. I love watching it. I'm not a guy that, you know, I, oh, I was out of it and I turned the playoffs off. I watch as many games as I can. Um, I really, really have enjoyed it my whole life, and I will continue to enjoy it the rest of my life. And um, maybe being around at some at some point would be really, really special. I think. Um, I think that I could do a good job of it, but I know um, that I have a long way to go to be able to get there. But um, definitely really, really love, love the game of baseball. And and you mentioned the playoffs. How do you think this World Series is going to end up? I'm really pulling for the Washington Nationals. I love the Astros, too. They're great guys. Um, I just love seeing a team come together the way the Nationals have. You know, and they've they finally fulfilled that dream of getting there. Um, Dave Martinez, obviously former coach here with the Cubs, our bench coach when we won the World Series, um, and just getting to see these guys. And, and we couldn't dream up any better than the first two games to have Max Scherzer versus Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander versus Steven Strasburg. I mean, that's when you when I was a kid and I'd watch you know marquee matchups. That's what you dream of. And now to get two of those back to back on the biggest stage as possible. What an incredible, incredible time. I can't wait till Tuesday and that's thing will kick the whole thing kicks off. And you mentioned the Cubs winning the World Series. Obviously, uh Davey Martinez was the bench coach. But I gotta ask you as a former Cub and, and part of someone who understands the culture of this team and the history behind the fact that they could not win for so many years, as a former Cub, did that feel like you won? Yeah, it, no, it, absolutely. 
you know, coming back as a special assistant and being around that team so much in six, 2016, uh, you know, I played with David Ross and John Lester and John Lackey in Boston. I played with Riz here in Chicago and Travis Wood. And, you know, I was around a lot of those guys and the coaches. And then just to watch all the hard work they put in and be around the team on a daily basis um, was truly, truly special. And, and the way they treated me, they treated me like a, a guy that was on the 60-day DL with no chance at a rehab assignment. And I'll forever be grateful for that. And, um, you know, it was just such an amazing run, an emotional roller coaster. But you knew that it had to be that way. It had to be, you know, seven games down three to one, the, the home run in the bottom of the ninth inning, the rain delay. Because if you're going to go 108 years, it had to be something iconic and special like that. And it's the greatest sports championship that we'll probably ever see in our lifetime because no one's even close to that much time between winning something. So truly, truly an, an incredible time. The parade, the moment to share it all with my family and my, my kids, really special. And in three years following that, 2017, the Cubs won 92 games and lost in the NLCS. 2018, they won 95 games and got eliminated in the wild card after losing game 163. And this year they missed the playoffs with 84 wins. What do you think has kind of gone wrong since then? And what do the Cubs need to do to get back to where they were? Um, I don't know if anything's really gone wrong. I just think that shows you how hard it is to win in baseball. That's why there hasn't been anybody repeat in almost 20 years. It's uh, it's extremely hard to, to win after you've already been there. If you think about it, you know, if you win – that the epitome of the hardest championship to win and then everything that comes with it the banquet circuit um the the the, they go to this signing this appearance this thing streets named after you everybody and their dogs trying to give you something here's a free this here's a free car you want to do this you're the greatest you're the greatest you're the greatest you're the greatest and then to try and get back there I think that's. I, I think it's really, really almost unrealistic to think that that could have happened. So I think the fact that the team got back to the NLCS in 2017 to win that series against Washington showed as much character as anything that they did, even winning the World Series itself. Um, you know, and then you have a team chase you down, and like Milwaukee, they played incredible in September. Um, and did it again and the Cardinals played unbelievable in September so um, you know now it just comes a matter of regroup okay now now you're not eating the carrot anymore you got to chase it again and you got to figure out a way to get yourself motivated and get back out there so nothing but great great five-year stretch and now you got to figure out a way to build to another good really good five-year stretch and hopefully get yourselves back to a World Series and a chance to win a World Series again. And among the other things in your career that you've been known for, one thing that I know a lot of Cubs fans have really appreciated has been the Harry Carey impression. Can the uh, Cubs Corner listeners get a, a brief taste of it? Well, you know, Anthony, the thing about it is, is it's not perfect. Like everything in the life, nothing's perfect. The Chicago Cubs aren't perfect. We're not perfect as human beings. And my Harry Carey impersonation isn't perfect, but it comes from a place of love. A place of love for the great Cubs broadcaster, Colin Gaines out there, loving the Chicago Cubs and the city of Chicago and the great fans that come out to Wrigley Field every day to cheer their team on, knowing that in 2020, something funny might be coming for somebody. I don't know what it is. But it's going to be special, so you're not going to want to miss it. That's terrific, Ryan. Thanks for that.
Absolutely, yeah. Was that something you developed once you got to Chicago, or have you just kind of always had it in the back pocket? Um, as kids, we were, my brothers and I were always watching, and Will Ferrell started doing his Harry Carey, and then I started, you know, uh, Joe, uh, you know, uh, oh man, I'm dropping his name right now, and I'm sorry, he's a comedian, Chicago comedian, does an incredible uh, Harry Carey, and I just, I always loved him, and then I started listening to games and listening to the stuff that he would do, and um, how he would just, you know, talk for an entire inning about nothing to do with the Cubs, and just randomly <laughs> drop in the play that would happen. You know, and and I just I just fell in love with him, and and you know he's a special man that was really, um, you know, obviously like it's not too often. It's usually the players, but for a long time, when you thought of the Chicago Cubs, sure there was Sandberg and Sutcliffe, or Sammy and you know Kerry Wood, and you know the Anthony. It's always or somebody Billy Williams, Ron Santo, all those guys and those players have been great. But one thing that people always kind of really thought of when they thought of the Cubs was Harry Carey and he truly loved the Cubs fan and I think they really uh, uh, came through as genuine and they knew it and it was so generic and real and it was really really special and one of the other things I'd like to ask you is you mentioned um, you you do have a role with the Cubs now could you kind of explain what you do for us uh, head of janitorial services <laughs> Yeah, so um, I, I, you know, I, I, I kind of look at it like I, I try to be an ambassador for the organization. I, you know, if it means I have to be somewhere to support them, I'm there. Um, you know, and and you know, I help out however I can. If something's asking me, I'll, I'll do it. Um, you know, if some advice is asked, I'll try to provide what I've learned from other people and pass along to them. And um, you know, but yeah, I definitely not not. Uh, I don't know how to put it. You know, I'll do what I'll do whatever whatever's asked um, to to try and help benefit the Chicago Cubs. And I, I love all teams in the league, and I don't root uh, for anybody to do bad. I just root for the Cubs to do a little bit better. And obviously, the Marquee Network is taking over the Cubs come February of 2020. And there's been a lot of speculation that maybe your uh, your night show, late night talk show, would be going to Marquee Network or something like that. Do you have any plans to uh, to join Marquee at any point? Um, you know, I uh, I, I don't know how that's going to go yet. I know um, that's you know obviously something that's um, very interesting and and would be cool to be a part of. And I'm just uh, you know with the off the mound stuff, I'm just taking it very slow and um, enjoying kind of building it from the grassroots up and uh, you know see see where it takes me and if it ends up being on the cub network then great and and hopefully somewhere we can get but uh nothing nothing official right now and and this will be my last question for you really quick i mean aside from some moves that may or may not be made what do you think the cubs will do in 2020 um i think they're going to compete again for uh, you know another division and a chance to get to the playoffs and win a world series and that's the one thing, you know, you watch what Theo and Jed and Jason and all the guys up there have done a tremendous job of always sticking true to their process. And that process said five, you know, five years from now, and the team's going to be really good. Well, guess what? They were, and they're going to be good for a long time. And he, they've done a great job of putting the organization in a position to succeed. But it's really hard. There's a lot of teams, like like I said, when you're out there celebrating, there's teams, there's guys waking up and getting ready to hit while you're on your vacation from your celebration. So, um, you know, it's it's a really really hard league, and you got to continue to find ways to motivate yourself and get back. And I think that, that you're going to see that this off season they continue to do that, and that players are going to come back in just as hungry. And that's all for this week's edition of the Cubs Corner. As always, you can find 
the Cubs Corner on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud, as well as the Cubs HQ website. Thanks so much, Ryan, for joining us. It was a really awesome episode. Absolutely. My pleasure, Anthony. Great being on with you. Thanks for coming on the show, and thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner.